chapter 5. We're looking at Proverbs 1 to 9 this summer, uh, this first section of Proverbs, where it's the father, in his, maybe by his fire, just talking to his son, a heart to heart. And yeah, pit, pity the fool is the little tagline. Uh, we don't want to be fools. We want to live wise. We want to live well. We have to listen to Jesus uh, in order to do that. So Proverbs chapter 5 is our one for this morning. I'll read and then I'll pray. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you'll groan when your flesh and body are spent. You'll say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I wouldn't obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. And I've come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well, Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast, and he will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are wisdom from God for us, and we need you to speak to us and help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, as a son growing up, here's the words I never wanted to hear from my father. Son, we're having the talk. That's what's happening uh, this morning, by the way. (laughs) It is, um, you know, of all the the talks we've had so far in Proverbs, and of all the talks that a father has with his son, there is one talk that's known, I think, in our culture as the talk, (laughs) right? Um, And I think that's because There's one chat that is 100% necessary for a father to have with his son, 100% needed, and yet I think both parties would rather it didn't have to happen at all. And, you know, it's like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Is there some other way? And it's like, no, it has to be this way. I've got to drink this cup as a father, and you've got to drink it, my son, as well. We've got to have this chat. It's 100% necessary because it's 100% plausible that, son, you could get caught in this trap. It's 100% necessary uh, because, uh, though it's awkward, it's just totally needed. 
I've been asking myself this week, uh, I've done like a bit of a play on Shakespeare's words, to boo or not to boo? That is the question, you know? Because uh, is this something we should talk very openly about in our family homes and in our church? Well, in our family homes, the subject of sex, marriage, relationships, sexual desires must not be taboo. It can't be something we don't talk about. It can't be. I totally understand we want to protect our kids. We want to protect our children. We really do. But the way to do that isn't by pretending this won't ever happen, this doesn't exist, this won't happen to my child, this isn't a thing, it isn't something I as a father struggle with at all. That is not the way we protect our kids, is it? No, we protect them. Well, it's, look at Proverbs 5. What's going on in this wise family home? The father takes this on, this conversation. He grabs the bull by the horns and he says, we're talking about this. We are. He doesn't care that it's awkward. He plows through that. And he has this conversation. And fathers, you may feel you may feel you failed in this regard. Right? You know, I'm fortunate that my son is he doesn't know what I'm saying at any point at the moment, really. Um, you know, uh, I tried to say to him, Have you done a poo? And I, you know, I can tell that he has, but I don't think he knows what I mean by that. Um, there's some words he knows. I'm trying to think of some words that he definitely knows. Hungry, he's starting to go. Uh, he knows, but you know, but you may have sons that are quite old and you think, I think I've done a rubbish job in this. I, but I don't know what to say. Where do I begin? But you don't have to do any of the hard work. The Bible does the heavy lifting. Open up Proverbs chapter 5. Just read it to your boys, fathers. Mums, read it to your daughters. It covers everything in this chapter. You know, it covers the dangers of lust and it magnifies the awesomeness of marriage. It just does the whole shooting match for you. It's brilliant, this chapter. Just open up and talk about it. So, no, it can't be taboo in our homes. Now, I keep saying this with Proverbs. Um, this takes wisdom. Obviously, the detail you'll give a 14-year-old boy is different to what you'd give a 4-year-old boy. I'm just saying it can't be something we don't talk about in our homes. It's got to be on the table. Because our kids will grow up, and they'll realize desires they have, and they will have questions, and they'll look to be informed somewhere. It's got to begin in the home. Parents, you want to be the narrators here to your kids, right? You want to tell them the better story about marriage and sex that the world's not going to tell them. The world will say it's all about self-gratification, do what your heart says to do, as long as it's consent, whatever, then it's fine. There's a better story. Paul says it's a deep mystery. It's about Christ and the church. It's such a good story. The Son of God from eternity left his throne in heaven. He deeply and desperately loves his wife and he wants to make her clean and he wants to marry her and the lengths he goes to to woo and win that bride is incredible. And you know what? If you trust in Jesus, you're the bride. You're in. You know, it's just such a better story. And then they should look at our marriage and say, yeah, that is better, isn't it? That is better than just sleeping around, than just you know, having a relationship for the sake of it and you know, that sort of thing. And may God help our marriages that our kids see that. The great thing in church is where our marriages might fail, they'll see other marriages in church, you know, and see, well, my parents don't talk so nicely to each other. I love the way that couple speaks to each other and stuff, you know. You know so that's the good thing. May God help our marriages, though. You want to be the instructor in this regard, parents. So the other question is, in our church family life, taboo or not taboo? And it, it can't be something we don't talk about in church. Um, 
we've got to talk about it. Probably among us here, there are people right now carrying a lot of shame and guilt in this regard because of lust and sexual sin. Could be, you could be ensnared. You could have you know, looked at the adulterous woman that is personified here, you know, lust, and just be t- totally taken captive by, by her. And for the women, it can happen to you too. You could be totally taken up by this. And you're ensnared, and you're in chains. And you might be thinking, it might just literally be, I'm shocked at where my mind can go. Oh my gosh, I'm shocked where my mind can go. Or it could be further down the line, I'm shocked at what I do with my body. Or it could be stuff in the past that you're still carrying. Uh, I can't believe I did that in the past. And it's when you're at bed, you know, it's often before I go to sleep, you know, that's when these things come back to my head. I don't know about you. And you're like, I wish I could forget that thing. And that's a little foretaste, isn't it, of what hell's like, the worm that will never die. These things that you wish could go away. Uh, so it can't be taboo in our church. We have to talk about these things. Because I think how many of the problems, if you've had problems in this regard, lust, sexual sin, how many of them could have been avoided if we had a culture in our homes and in our church where these things were talked about? Because the brilliant thing is that at the cross of Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness for all sin and any sin. There is. And as we you know, bend our knee at the foot of the cross and we come together as a church, anything can be confessed there. And you know the one there says, Father, forgive Father, forgive. And his blood can cleanse you clean. It cleanses the leper who's gone numb because he's just been totally taken over by these sorts of sins so that he used to feel ashamed. Now he doesn't even get red in the face by these sins. There is cleansing. And the brilliant thing is it's not just Jesus' death, but Christ is risen. What would we do without Bruce Foster in our church? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And he's risen with healing in his wings. Right, So where you have given your life over to, to this woman, this you know, strange woman, it says in the King James Version, you've got into bed with lust. You've followed your heart's desire in this regard. And it's hurt you. The sharp double-edged sword has cut you down. You've taken in the bitter gall of it. And you know, it's gone into your innermost parts. And it's part of your life and your story now. Jesus is alive and he can heal you. That's the great thing. So taboo or not taboo, that is the question. No, we've got to talk about it. Church family, we have to be able to say, even we are susceptible to these sins. Maybe especially we are susceptible to these sins, you know? Because we know Jesus forgives us. And that can tempt us further, can't it? Well, I can just get forgiveness. And we need to be careful because we do not go on sinning so that grace may abound. By no means. We, Jesus sets us free from sin, not to sin. You know, so we, we want to be totally different to the world in this regard. So we've got to talk about these things. So church family, we're having the talk. And what motivates the talk? Well, it is really the father wants to save his son from a disastrous life. And there's two bits, really. It's the end, verse 21 to 23. Verse 22 specifically, that um, you will not be ensnared, that the cords of this sin will not hold you fast, that you will not die for lack of discipline or be led astray by your own great folly. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, Proverbs said. Proverbs says, doesn't it? Um, and we need to know that. And we as children of God, folly is bound up in our hearts too, and we do not want that folly to lead us. We need to rebuke it and deny it. But the other thing is verse uh, 12 to 14. What motivates this talk 
the awkward chat the father has with the son, is so that you will not get to the end of his life full of regrets, full of shame, and possibly public shame, because people have found out about his sin. That is what we do not want. So that's what motivates the talk. So what we're going to talk about, firstly, is the alluring adulteress and what she's like. And then we'll look at the awesome antidote. Because if you are taken in by this woman at the moment, and it's adultery personified, so women, you know, this is true for you as well, there is an awesome antidote, not just for married people, for single people as well. So what is the thing about this, uh, this adulteress? I mean, this really is just simply the seventh commandment. The seventh good word from our Lord, do not commit adultery. And as the father talks to his son here about the sort of woman he should look for, and that is really the woman who is wisdom. You want to unite with her. You want to actually unite with Christ Jesus, who is filled with the spirit of life. You need to unite yourself with him. Get into that marriage as the bride. You don't want to get into bed with this woman. You don't want to unite yourself with this alluring adulteress. And he starts by talking about lips. So he's talking to his son, and as always, he's like, my son, listen closely to the words that proceed from his mouth, from his lips. And he says in verse, three, uh, verse 2, sorry, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. See, as a church, we simply want to echo the words of Jesus, don't we? And the Father here is saying, the words I'm going to tell you, I want you to echo them. So when no one's around, these are the words that remain on your lips. I want your lips to echo back these words. It's like Jesus, isn't it, in the wilderness, when he's being tempted, when he's in the valley of decision, he echoes his father's words. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. This is how he lives. So the father's like, listen to my lips, that your lips too may say the same things, Because I'm going to tell you about some lips that you need to avoid, my son. And it's verse 3, verse 4. The lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Now, the interesting thing about this woman's lips, right? Adultery, the idea of lust, this captivating sin that can really take a hold of you, is the words, the temptations that come from it are honey and oil. Honey and oil in the Bible, what's that about? Well, Psalm 119 says, doesn't it, about the word of God, that your words are sweeter than honey, honey from the comb. You know, it's about the truth, how awesome God's truth is. Oil in the Bible is about the Holy Spirit. The thing about lust is it masquerades as truth and it masquerades as life. But in the end, it leads to death. Right? It's gonna, you're going to think lust will promise you something. It's just like, isn't it, the Garden of Eden? looking at the fruit that God says not to eat. Eve looks and it's pleasing to her eye. And she thinks, man, it's going to taste good, that. This is the thing with lust. That is what it'll, that's, what it, that's its temptation. This is why it's tempting. Because it's like, yeah, that will be so good. We actually sung, didn't we, about Jesus in Psalm 45. Prov- uh, Hebrews tells us Psalm 45 is about Jesus. It's a song the father writes about his son. And he says, I've anointed your lips, my son, with oil of joy. It's good, isn't it? We know Jesus' words, they lead to life. The words of the adulteress lead to death. He says, my son, you need to stop looking at her lips. Stop listening to her words. Try find where her feet go, right? This isn't the next bit. And it's like you look down from her lips and you're like, I can't actually see her feet because verse five, her feet go down to death. 
her steps lead straight to the grave. They're six feet under. You try and look, and like, I can't actually see where those feet are because they are buried and they go straight to hell. That's the path adultery takes you on. That's where this woman is rooted. That's where she belongs and is grounded. Lust is a hellish thing. In the beginning, it's great for a moment, but in the end, it leads to death. And that's the same with all sin. Um, I believe, is David Hill here? Yeah. David Hill is doing, I, I said last week about my love language being words of affirmation. I think the only reason for that is food isn't one on the, on the list when you do the quiz. Dave Hill is taking me, Emma, and Ezra to KFC later. Now, that truly is the way to my heart, right? <laughs> that really is it, uh, if you want to know. Forget the words, like, just, just take me there. Um, but imagine if I got some popcorn chicken later, but the C actually stood for cheese, which I detest, right? So, uh, you know, I look at the little popcorn, I'm like, oh, man, you're going to taste so good. I'm going to pop you in. And, uh, and then for a moment, it would be the original recipe coating, and I'd be, I'd be like, that's so good. And I'd chow down. And it's only at that point I realize, oh my goodness, what have I done? What is this? This is not what it first appeared to me. That is exactly what this sort of sexual sin is like. Because the true nature of the thing is only known in the end. In the end. Look beyond what the initial pleasing thing will be. Don't be so stupid to just go, yeah, but the short term, great. You know, that initial taste of the 11 secret herbs and spices, yay. No, because, Sam, you hate cheese, right? It's disgusting. It's bitter as gall and sharp as a double-edged sword, man. You don't want it. So uh, another thing is I've just watched um, Painkiller on Netflix because Matthew Broderick's in it, and he's Ferris Bueller. And I thought, I love, this is my favorite film, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'll watch this. And it's all about this opioid drug that is a painkiller in the 90s called OxyContin. And the way they sell it to you is all the positives, you know. This will take away your pain. This will give you your life back, you know. And for a moment, that's what it does. But the thing they don't tell you is it's highly addictive, and in the end, it will lead to death. In the end, it will totally captivate you. And it's, it's basically heroin, and you'll become addicted. And it, it will turn you away from your family. It will turn you into an addict. You will just give all your money to this thing, you'll give all your time to this thing, you'll lose your good reputation, your good name. It's just such a good illustration for what lust is like if, you, if your heart is taken captive by it. In the end, it leads to death. So that is the warning about this woman. That's what she's like. Church family, if any of you are in that valley of decision right now, if married men here, if you're thinking about a woman other than your wife in this way, that's what you need to know about where that will take you. Because maybe you're like, yeah, I'm not doing it out with my body. But if it's going on in, in your mind, if you're doing it through your eyes, so much lust goes on in there. Jesus says, that's where it begins. That's where it's got to end. If only David, well, Billy Graham says this, doesn't he? He says, I don't know if you know this. It's not the first look that wounds the young man. It's the second look, right, at a woman. Maybe David, you know, he should have been at war in the springtime. We know that. But he was at home. Okay, he looked once at Bathsheba. If only he'd looked away and fled, done the Joseph thing from Potiphar's wife. You know, ran out of there. Flee from sexual immorality. But no, he looked again. It was that second look that killed him. You know, it was that second look that led to what happened then. Some horrible sins that he did to try and cover it up. Okay, let's move on from there. to The instruction then, verse 7 and 8, just two things. The first thing is, 
You've got to listen to me, verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Take seriously what I'm going to say. Do not turn aside from what I'm about to tell you. Do you know what the stupid thing to do would be, young people, adults here as well, is that you live like this. I'll learn from my own experience. I'll try anything once. That is a rubbish and foolish way to live. No, much wiser to listen to the wise advice of people who you know are wise. Wise words. You do not, you know, I do not want to learn from experience that that Oxycontin drug is right. Because as soon as, you know, in what it suggests, or whether it does lead to death, because as soon as I try it, I could get hooked on that very first time, you know? Don't set foot on that path. Listen to me. Don't learn from experience. Don't try anything like this out. Listen to me when I tell you, don't go there. And that's the second, that's the really, that is the instruction. Go nowhere near her. Verse 8. Keep a path far from her. Do not go near the door to her house. Don't just, don't go up to the door at her house. Don't even go near the door to her house. So it's not even don't go in the house. It's not even don't go to the door. And it's just don't go near the door at all. Stay totally far away from it. This is, this is again, this is what Jesus means when he says that if you look at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery. You need to cut it off as soon as possible. Don't even go near. Don't play with it because this is a really dangerous sin. And then this is why I read on in, um, in chapter 6, into chapter 6 of Ephesians earlier, because the instruction then is fathers don't exasperate your children. It's so annoying if you've grown up in a, a family where you're given lots of rules in a Christian family and no reasons. The great thing about the wise father in Proverbs 5 here, he just loads of reasons why you need to listen to me. And he says, uh, it says here in verse 9 and 10, four reasons, four things. Here they are. He wants his son, verse 9, part A, to keep a good name. It says in my NIV, lest you give your best strength to others. But if you have a King James Version, uh, I don't know if I've got it down here. Yeah, lest you give thine honor unto others. This is about your name. You know, two years ago, Philip Schofield, yeah, he was like this lovely TV morning personality. He was on the cube. That was good fun back in the day, wasn't it? You know, now that name is different, isn't it? And he has come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of all the tabloids and all of the UK. He's like, my son, your name is so important. I don't want that, your name to be ruined. Your family name, I don't want that to be ruined. You don't want your reputation to be ruined forever. Because when you lose your reputation, it, it's really difficult to get that back. Really difficult. The next thing is, he says, that you won't waste your years chasing this dead end. You give your years to one who was cruel. Chasing this is following Satan's voice. And he's a murderer and he's a liar and it's cruel. And you can waste years and years of your life trying to battle this sort of sin if you're captivated by it. And, you, you know, you could be doing other things. You could be looking at other ways to serve. And all the way, you're just totally taken up with this sin. And you waste your time on it. The next thing is that you wouldn't waste your money on it. The thing about this sexual sin is, if you get captivated by it, at some point you'll start spending money on it. Whether that is a person or whether that is online, you'll start spending money. So don't waste the money that God's given you on this stuff. Don't do that. And then the next thing is that you wouldn't die full of regrets or be publicly shamed. It's an awful thing, isn't it? Verse 12 to 14. That you'll say at the end of your life, verse 11 to 14. You don't want to groan at the end of your life. Oh, 
I've wasted my entire life. I never reformed my life. I hated being informed. It wasn't that I wasn't told. I was told I hated discipline. I hated hearing that I'm this stuff, that I can't lust, that I have to give it up. I hated it, and I've wasted my whole life. Imagine that on a deathbed, thinking you've wasted your life because you gave your life over to the adulterous woman. That would just be awful. Even worse still, in eternity, if you thought, you know, this stuff, that in the, in the uh, public, what is it, the great assembly on judgment day, when every hidden thing is revealed, that this stuff is brought before you and brought before everyone. That would just be awful, wouldn't it? He doesn't want that. So uh, let's, let's move on, though. I want to move on to the awesome antidote. Because, yeah, this stuff is deep and dark. I'll try and get through this quickly, but it is such good stuff. The awesome antidote, and this covers the married people, the single people here, is this. Delight yourself in what the Lord has given you. That's the answer. Delight yourself in what the Lord has given you. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. There's a time, isn't there, where Jesus is at a well, having a conversation with a woman who is, has had, is it five men, and she's with a man right now? Praise God, here's a seventh man who's going to change her life. The perfect man, Jesus Christ. Jesus says to her, doesn't he, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. Because Jesus is the only one really who can satisfy you. Drink water from him. Go to Jesus. Firstly, you need to be totally content and satisfied in Christ alone. In that relationship, he is the rock of ages who was struck on the cross and from his side pour out water. And you can be satisfied in life, in Christ, in Jesus. If you look at your spouse, married people, and think they're going to completely satisfy me, you're wrong. Because you've been given a hunger, all of us have, for this eternal romance with Jesus Christ. It's something no one else on earth can give you. That's what you're made for. And you're to find that all in him. So single people, you're taken up with that, right? You have to be content in that relationship. And then the other thing for you single people is, there's people here who are your family, your church family. The intimacy you long for, right? The, the love, the help, the conversation, the deep meaningful relationships. It's found here. It's found in your church family. You know, if you're called to singleness, if right now you're single, your call to singleness right now. That might change. It might do. For many single people, it probably will change. But it might be you're going to keep on being single. We don't know, do we, what the future is. All we know is right now, if you're single, God's called you to singleness. Drink water from Jesus. Enjoy. Delight yourself in the church family here. You know, how, find out how incredible they are. Delight yourself in them. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, that is really the answer here. (laughs) Yeah, love Jesus, delight yourself in him, but also delight yourself in your wife. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. And do you know the thing, I heard a pastor speak on this and say, The weakness in which lust can get into a marriage and tempt someone into another relationship, it comes when there is boredom, boredom in the relationship. 
Now, how do you overcome boredom in a marriage? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love her and you'll love her. (laughs) Right? Does that make sense? Love her and you will love her. Look at her. You know, I remember one of the first things Lee got uh, me, Jane, and Aaron to do in our apprenticeship year was listen to an R.T. Kenzel sermon on 1 Corinthians 13. And he just simply said, husbands, you've got to fall back in love with your wives. And you do. You know, love is something. You've got to make some choices and some decisions. That you, f- you know, um, I heard someone else say that your wife has to be your definition of a beautiful woman. Everyone else is substandard because she's the one, right? Love her and you will love her. Give her some flowers this week, right? Think, I'm going to deny myself my Nintendo Switch Zelda uh, game. Could, I don't know. Uh, that's, that could just be my thing. <laughs> and, you know, I am going to book us a table somewhere at KFC. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> somewhere that will bless her, right? What's her favorite place to go? What's her favorite takeaway? That's the thing. It might be, it, the thing is, it's Italian for my wife, which is cheese central. But this is the thing. Deny yourself. And love her, and you will love her. What was it that initially was the spark? Jesus can light that spark again, right? This is the great thing. So there we go. Let's let's move on uh, from that. Single people, you've got Jesus. Church family, if you're married, you've got Jesus too. And God's gifted you a spouse. And you delight yourself in them. You're captivated, intoxicated uh, by those things. The next thing is know that nothing is a secret from God. If you're caught up in these lust things, you call it a secret sin. But a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. And one of the commentators, Charles Bridges, I was reading on this, said, I don't know, do I have it here? I don't think I do. I'll get it for the podcast. But he was like, oh, if only people would read their Bibles and believe that there is a God who sees everything. He says there's so much practical atheism among Christians that we say we believe in God, but we believe he can't see me. His, your ways are in full view of the Lord. Imagine if he's in the room with you. It's not only that he sees, he weighs things up as a judge does. He examines all your ways. But the final thing, if you're caught up in these sins, there is an antidote. Really, you've got to know Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. It ends with this, doesn't it? The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. But Jesus on the cross was held fast by two nails, wasn't he? Four nails, probably. Probably more than that. His hands and his feet were nailed on the cross. He was held ensnared. He was not wicked. He was sinless. And yet for your sake, for my sake, he became the cursed wicked man on the cross. He became the adulterer who only ever loves his bride and gave his life for her. That's what he did. So that you, who may be carrying loads of shame and guilt right now about this stuff, could be cleansed, can be healed. You know, so Jesus is with us, church family. At the foot of the cross, we can discuss these things. It's not taboo. It shouldn't surprise us when we find out our brothers and sisters are sinners, right? It shouldn't. What should always surprise us is the amazing mercy of Jesus. That should overwhelm us. We should be like, whoa, he forgives even that? Yeah, and more. He, he can forgive any sin. He is that amazing. So we need help in this regard. Uh, me and Em will do a podcast on this and we'd really appreciate your questions. This takes wisdom. This takes a lot of thinking through. There is help in Jesus' name. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that we don't need to cower 
in front of any enemy or any sin because of him. Help us to be a church, Lord, where there is not even a hint of sexual immorality. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.